Hey guys, just wanted to let you know that the episode you're listening to was originally a Facebook Live video that I've repurposed into an episode. So if I'm ever referencing something um, visually that you can see, keep that in mind when you're listening. So thanks for listening. Hey Nick. Yes? Do you like <laughs> horror movies? Oh, you know I do. Do you like weird, extreme, taboo, and cult horror movies? Of course. They're okay. my favorite kind. Well, I've got some news for you. Because MVD Entertainment Group and the popular Rue Morgue magazine have teamed up to launch the Midnight Movie Society. What? Yeah. They are a curated subscription video on demand service specializing in extreme underground, taboo, and cult horror movies. Now... Genre fans can gain access to a film library of shocking underground, outrageous gore, creature features, cult classics, and much more. Those with a taste for the weirdest and wildest reaches of genre cinema will not be disappointed. The bigger platforms are catering to the masses and have gone puritanical in many cases, making it very difficult for filmmakers to reach their audiences, says Ed Seaman, COO of MVD Entertainment Group. MVD has a great deal of this type of content, and when it is live on major platforms, it performs really well. Maybe too well for some of the mainstream platforms. The Midnight Movie Society will also cater to more traditional horror fare as well, pulling from the thousands of film hours from in MVD's vast catalog. In addition, Rue Morgue will also be finding and curating fresh and unusual content for the service. Adriana Dober, Director of Programming, says as larger streaming platforms continue to crack down on content, there's an urgent need to create a space for boundary-pushing films unencumbered by strangling content restrictions. That I don't know why that word was so hard for me to say. <laughs> strangling. Strangling, especially given the content. As a lifelong horror fan, I'm proud and excited to be working with MVD Entertainment Group and genre champions Rumor Magazine to bring Midnight Movie Society to the masses. Rumor Magazine is a name that everyone can trust. It's actually a horror magazine I used to buy back in the day, and they're Canadian, so you know they're extra fucking weird. And nice. Yeah, and nice. Best of all, Midnight Movie Society is supplying all of our amazing listeners with an opportunity to get on board and try the service out for themselves. If you go to www midnightmoviesociety.com you can save 33% off your first three months of Midnight Movie Society by using the promo code SHAMELIST SHAMELIST! SHAMELIST! We have our own promo code! Yes, you heard me, you will save a whopping 33% on your first three months. That's just insanity to me. So, once again, go to www.midnightmoviesociety.com and use the promo code SHAMELIST S-H-A-M-E-L-I-S-T Shameless. No spaces. No spaces. All one word. Shameless. It's like you're yelling it at someone. Yell it at the promo code, but also make sure you type it in. Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, 
but they do. I'm looking at you, corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and pick up your copies of Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite films, just in time for the new Netflix movie Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy. Also available is Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy Rowdy Piper, James Hong's The Vineyard, Pledge Night, Lust in the Dust, starring Divine, Putney Swope, the Amityville Cursed Collection, and much, much more. Also, don't forget to pre-order your copy of Tammy and the T-Rex in glorious 4K Ultra High Definition or Blu-ray and the oh, Angel shit. Collection. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, and Latino cinema. Hell, they even produce their own content in-house. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. And the best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my time as a collector without even realizing it. They're a name I can trust. Some of my favorite releases include Can't Hardly Wait, Night of the Living Dead, House on Haunted Hill from their Vincent Price collection, the complete series of Quantum Leap, the complete series of The Secret World of Alex Mack, and of course, you're the hunter from the future. Head over to www.milkcreekent.com, that's milkcreekent.com, and see what their collection has to offer. I guarantee you'll find something great. Discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another quarantine update of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers and I am doing this by my lonesome again today. Me and Nick will be back shortly. Um, Our next proper episode, well the next one being released, is going to be Ridley Scott's Alien. And the next episode beyond that will be Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's still the plan is to do Ghostbusters. So that's going to be exciting. Um... But no, I've been keeping myself busy trying to do some 
some betterment. So like, for example, I've been cooking a lot more. I think I talked about it on one of these updates that I've had to uh, do some life changes. So I've cut back on how much meat I'm consuming. And instead I've been learning some vegetarian and vegan meals. So like last night, Amanda made um, black bean burgers and she's made a vegetarian crunch wrap supremes from taco bell uh she just she substitutes in corn chips and then uses cilantro rice and black beans and some other some other goodies um i've taught myself how to make pizza dough so that was fun uh today i'm making a broccoli and feta pasta that i'm quite excited for um and then i've just been keeping myself busy we planted a garden i just built a lawnmower today not from scratch, but, you know, they sent it to me. I have to mow my lawn, so I built a lawnmower. I'm probably going to do that as soon as I'm done here. I'm hoping I get a sponsorship from AHA because that'd be fucking great. Um, but, yeah, and then, as always, I've been just trying to keep myself busy. Just I've been watching a lot of movies, playing a lot of video games. I'm still trying to fit, finish Stephen King's Cujo, the book, not the movie. And uh, it's been a good time. I've been trying to make my office look better. I, I put up our Elfie Lino mask right behind me. Uh, along with my record collection and my cheap-ass Sansui speakers, uh, which I eventually want to replace. But right now, not having a job makes kind of moves that to the bottom of my list. Um, and, ooh, sorry, playing with my camera. And the biggest thing is I want to make right by my sponsors. So I get a... I get, I get a a decent amount of stuff from sponsors of things to review so it's been my goal to knock out as many of these as humanly possible uh so my turnaround time has been fantastic for these i've been doing almost one a week which is pretty phenomenal for me one to two a week and today you're gonna get two different things from me to talk about from my sponsors um hey paul nice to see that you joined in um i was just filling everyone in hey also, Kyle joined. I was just filling everyone in with uh, what I've been doing with my quarantine. I've been um, teaching myself how to cook a little bit more. I, I talked about that already, but filling people in who are, who are just getting here. I taught myself how to make pizza dough, and today tonight I'm making a broccoli and feta cheese pasta. So, uh, and then I built a lawnmower. So that's even that's pretty cool too. I uh, uh, I need to mow my lawn, so might as well give myself something to do. Uh, so today, uh, for my quarantine, I figured my quarantine update. I figured I would talk a little bit about some of the things that I've seen, as well as um, some some sponsorship material that I've gotten from Mill Creek and Vinegar Syndrome. So before I get to that, um, I just for those of you who subscribe to the Patreon, you just got a brand new Patreon episode yesterday, where I'm going to try something a little bit different. I've been now. There's so many, I love DVD and Blu-ray commentaries. Some are good, some are bad. And I think a lot of people would like them more if they kind of had a way to wade through what was worth checking out. And that can be tough. There's a lot of them out there. So I've started a new thing where uh, once a month, maybe a little more, I'm going to watch a DVD commentary for um, one that I've not seen. Um... And by doing so, I am going to give you guys uh, a little bit of a rundown. Sorry, I'm checking the feed of what's going on. Give you guys a rundown of what's worth listening to. 
so the one I most recently did was Halloween, one of my probably my all-time favorite movie, and the movie that inspired me to want to go to film school and want to make movies. And I watched the Criterion commentary. Yes, for those of you who are not aware, Halloween did have a Criterion release back in the Laserdisc days. Um, it's also one of the few times that the original mono theatrical, the theatrical mono audio track has been on and a lot of, uh, has been on a disc. And it's also um, for a lot of Halloween diehards, people have said it's one of the best looking transfers of the film because that film's always kind of steeped in a little bit of mystery. So I reviewed the Criterion commentary track, which is available on Blu-ray. You can get that on the, the 2007, I believe, 2007 Anchor Bay Blu-ray. And if you're like me, uh, a huge nerd, you have pretty much every version of Halloween that's come out. I don't have the Laserdisc version yet, mainly because I don't have a Laserdisc player yet. Um, On top of that, it's been fun just introducing... uh, So lately, we've had uh, my wife's best friend, Emma, staying with us. um, And we've had her staying with us. And I've gotten to show her some some things that she's missed. Uh, So like we watched uh, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out which I was pretty confident of last year, but then after re-seeing it, it's probably my favorite movie of 2019. Um, Just phenomenal from beginning to end. Um, I I truly love that film. And and I hate the argument that people sometimes make that once you know the twist of like one of these whodunits that you can't enjoy it nearly as much anymore. I don't subscribe to that because I think this movie is just as fun the second time around. Um, And then... um, we watched the Lure Criterion release, um, uh, and then a Hammer film that I happen to like, even though it's a little slow. It's Roy Ward Baker's film, The Vampire Lovers. Uh, so I introduced got to introduce uh, Emma and Amanda to that film, and then we also watched rewatched John Favreau's Lion King. I'm an apo- I'm an apolo- I apologize a lot for that film uh, because I think that film is pretty great actually. Um, like, yeah, well, it, it does have its issues. Like it, it didn't do a whole lot original, but after rewatching it, um, in 4k, um, it just kind of blew me away about how well that movie is made visually stunning. Uh, I think John Favreau's Lion King, I think it's going to get reappraised in a couple years and people are going to see it for what it is, but we're not here to talk about John Favreau or the Lion King, though you should all be checking out, um, the Mandalorian, if you've not seen it, because that movie is pretty fucking... Or sorry, that TV show is pretty fucking great. We're introducing some people to that as well right now. So first things first. Um, from my friends over at Mill Creek, uh, the second sponsor I've ever gotten for the Shameless Picture Show was Mill Creek. And they've been really cool. They've been... They've opened up to a bunch of new films I've not got a chance to see. And biggest of all, they are really helping the kaiju boom that's going on right now in the United States and probably even all over the world. Um, so I throughout this show, I've reviewed a lot of the Ultraman series. And I think we've finally gotten to... I've liked them all, but I think this one might be my favorite. So today, I'm going to be talking about the Mill Creek release of Return... Of Ultraman to protect justice and peace. Ultraman has returned. Um, I've got the phenomenal steel book edition that, sorry, camera that Mill Creek has put out. Um, 
I don't know what these retail for, but I know you can get them at Best Buy. I've seen them at Best Buy. I've seen both the steel books and the non-steel books. And if you are a fan of old Godzilla films, if you are a fan of any kaiju stuff at all, or anime, anything Japanese-oriented, I really think you should be picking up these Ultraman releases because they are quite spectacular. So, back of the box says, On a mission to save Earth, Ultraman has returned. Following years of relative peace, mankind is once again under attack by giant monsters. A new ultra-hero, Ultraman Jack, arrives from Nebula M78 to combat his this threat. After merging his life with that of Hideko Go, a young race car driver killed while rescuing a boy and a puppy from a rampaging monster, Ultraman Jack battles alongside the terrestrial defense team known as MAT, M-A-T, uh, it stands for Monster Attack Team to protect the Earth. Return of Ultraman is the fourth entry in the Ultraman series, premiering in Japan on, in April 1971. The series introduces dozens of new aliens and monsters, and it also features guest appearances from the original Ultraman and Ultra 7, presenting the first of many Ultra Hero team-ups. Never before released in North America, all 51 episodes of Return of Ultraman are now presented in stunning high definition so i've reviewed pardon this is gonna get a little out i gotta fix my mic i've reviewed all of the released ultra series so far so i've reviewed thus far ultra q ultra the original ultraman ultra 7 and now i'm on the return of ultraman so i've spanned every ultra series from 1966 to 1972 on top of that, I've also reviewed Ultraman Orb, um, which came out in 2016. And I also reviewed Ultraman Geed. Um, what's coming next, I do have um, Ultraman, Ultra, Ultraman X, I believe I've got, uh, which came out in 2015. And then I also have to review Ultraman Orb, The Chronicle, um, which is... Um, which some of the newer series, I just haven't gotten to them yet. But I, I found that I definitely prefer the effects-wise of the older Ultra series. But anyways, going back to Ultra, the return of Ultraman. So I, 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 I said right from the bat that I think this is my favorite of what I've reviewed thus far. I've liked them all. Um, Ultra, Q, Ultra Q might be my close second favorite. So those as a rundown for everyone, Ultra Q was the first ever of the Ultraman series. It was very, I described it kind of like a, a, a Twilight Zone meets X-Files kaiju story. Where there was no Ultraman. It's um, it's about reporters reporting incidents that are happening around the city of kaiju attacks. So there's no hero saving them. They're kind of saving themselves. And uh, it just reminds me a lot. It's, it's a very interesting, poignant monster of the day, monster of the week type series. Uh, beautifully photographed in black and white. Uh, it also has a lot to say, and for that reason, I really, uh, I really appreciated it. Um, from there, they went did Ultraman, which was uh, I know there's a term for it. I think it take, I think it's to Toskatsu. I'm I'm showing my ignorance here about this aspect of um, Tokusatsu, this aspect of Japanese culture. It's something I um, Japanese culture, I'm st anime and all those things. I'm still learning on, so you know, bear with me. It's not. An area I know very well, uh, Tokusatsu uh, series, where Ultraman was a being from another planet that came down and it was protecting everyone. Ultra 7 was a very similar thing. They have a formula of 
a hero, an, uh, a human hero, be, being given the essence of Ultraman. In Ultra 7 and original Ultraman, they had like a capsule that they can... And then bruh, Ultraman comes and saves the day. Um, but his essence is still in them. Um, this... And, you know, on top of that, they also had a monster attack team of some sort. They always call it something different. Sometimes it's like SSP. I don't remember what it stands for. Um, and, you know, they've, they had a really working formula. E.G. Subaraya, who created the Ultra series, uh, it was kind of his brainchild. When they made this, this show, uh, E.G. died. And um, he originally had this idea that the original Ultraman was going to come back in this series and save the day. And it also had planned to be the final one. When E.G. died, his son took over. His son, who had wrote, written a couple of the episodes, who had written a bunch of episodes for the previous Ultra series, came back and they wanted to do it. Uh, originally, uh, TBS, not that TBS, it's Tokyo Broadcast Systems. Um, they didn't want to bring back, they wanted to create a brand new hero. Um, so they made a different Ultraman. It looks very similar to that of the original Ultraman. Later on, he'd be, he'd go on to be known as Ultraman Jack. I d don't know why Jack, uh, from what I read, they did, a, they let kids pick the name and he just became known as Ultraman Jack. Uh, so he's a different Ultra hero from M78, uh, which is the planet he's from. It's the Ultra, Ultra planet. Um, but the reason I like the formula so much more in this one is very similar to why I liked some of the newer series is while I like the effects better and the way that they're shot so much better when, when they're shot on film, the new series, while they are Monster of the Week, have a continuing story from week to week, to an extent. And that they started doing that here in The Return of Ultraman. So Hideki Go, who is a race car driver, um, he saves this young boy, who is uh, the son of a friend of his, and uh, saves him and a puppy from a building that's going down, and he dies. And he's in the hospital. His girlfriend and his boss are all watching after him being like, man, this sucks. He shouldn't have died. Ultraman watches him and say, hey, I've seen what you did. I saw that you gave yourself to protect this young boy. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to I'm going to give you my my essence, my life, my life essence, life form, whatever you want to call it. And he brings him back. And because of this, uh, he can now summon Ultraman whenever he wants. But he can't overuse it because one of the one of the conceits in the Ultraman series was that Ultraman can only survive on Earth for about three minutes before he depletes he depletes his power. But what I find interesting about this is not only does he not have a capsule that just makes Ultraman appear, Ultraman he must summon Ultraman whenever he wants. But Ultraman will also not always come if he feels like this is something that you can solve yourself. You're you're abusing the Ultra power. But what I also liked about this is one of, this, one of the few times up to this point that we really got to know our lead character. Um, he Hideki Go has a life outside of MAT, uh, the Monster Attack Team. He has got a life. He was a race car driver. He is building a new race car with his with his friends. Um, but then there's also these little life lessons where he's trying to figure out who he was. Like one of the first episodes after he joins the Monster Attack Team. Um, they kind of play into PTSD a little bit that, you know, the first time you see a monster and you have to fight it, it fucks with you. And he's constantly feeling like, Hey, I hear a monster. There's something going on. And everyone's like, no, it's you just, you're traumatized from having to see a monster for the first time. There's nothing out there. No one else hears this. And he starts to panic and it kind of becomes a boy that cried wolf type situation. And then you eventually find out that there was a monster, but 
that's beside the point. So I deal. I like that they're dealing with the human side of an Ultraman, essentially. He's not this perfect uh, being that can do everything. Um, and actually, I just watched, uh, before I came on, a two-part episode that kind of dealt with uh, Ultraman could not save Tokyo from these two monsters that were destroying, and the MAT was going to nuke Tokyo, and it became this kind of allegory for the nuclear bomb. And it's like, oh, shit, this is a kind of a, a deep kind of dark story for what all intents and purposes was a kid's show. So, uh, Return of Ultraman. Uh, I definitely recommend picking up all the Ultra series, but if you're kind of on the fence, what's kind of cool about the Ultraman series is you don't have to know anything about any of them to pick them up. You can realistically just go by the Return of Ultraman and be comfortable and enjoy it. They do have some team-up episodes where Ultra 7 shows up and the original Ultraman show up, but... um. I feel like they did that all the time when we were kids of Power Rangers and it never once affected anything. Uh, but no, I really recommend going out and buying uh, The Return of Ultraman. Um, like I was saying before, it's not really anything... You don't really have to know the Ultraman universe to really appreciate this. And the effects are super cool. Paul, you might not agree because you one time told me that the effects in Godzilla <laughs> looked dated. Um but to an extent, yes, they are dated because it was made in the 70s. But I think I still think a person in a rubber suit holds up really fucking well. The explosions are really cool. Um, the the use of models is really cool. I guess if I had to pick out anything, well, I think all the, the, the picture quality of these looks really good. My one complaint, and it's coming from, a, from the side of a person who's watching this with surround sound. Ultraman was originally a, was recorded. His original broadcast audio was mono. the The disc itself has got a a two stereo soundtrack. Uh, and with that, you get I've got a full on five point one system. You get some we get some sound effects in the back, especially during explosions and some music. What's very weird though is a lot of the soundtrack is still very center focused through the mono speaker. Um, so it feels very false. I wish they would have just given us a, a plain Jane regular mono score. Um, because it's very weird when you do get some side and back and, uh, you know, when you, when you get some, when you get some sounds that come through all of your speakers, but I want to say 90% of it's all anchored to the, to the, to the center speaker. That's just, you know, technical nerd shit for, um, I was hoping for a little bit more out of the out of the out of the audio. It still sounds really good. All of it, it's just it's a little disorienting. But all things considered, if you have not picked up any of the Ultraman stuff, go to Best Buy. Buy buy. All, I'm only saying Best Buy because it's the only place I know for sure is selling it. That's not online. Go to Mill Creek. Buy Ultraman. Buy Return of Ultraman. Buy Ultra Seven. Actually, Ultra Seven was one of my favorites. I enjoy them all, but Ultra my ranking for them is probably Return of Ultraman. Ultra Q, Ultra 7, and then the original Ultraman. So, thus far, that's what I'm liking. Okay, next up. I've talked for like fucking 25 minutes on Ultraman. But next up, I've got a movie from Vinegar Syndrome called Olivia. Back of the box says, When she was a child, Olivia, played by Susanna Love, witnessed the horrifying and violent murder of her prostitute mother at the hands of an angry John. Now an adult... She's married to an abusive and controlling factory worker. That is, until her mother appears to her and demands that Olivia avenge her death by seducing and then slaying men. While disposing of a body near the London Bridge, Olivia has a chance meeting with a friendly American named Mike, played by Robert Walker Jr., 
who reveals that he's visiting England in order to dismantle and move the bridge to Arizona, the bridge being the London Bridge, setting off a series of increasingly strange events and a lot more bloodshed. Perhaps the most offbeat film in the fascinating career of German actor-turned-exploitation auteur Uli Lommel, who directed The Tenderness of Wolves and The Boogeyman, Olivia, also known as Prozzi and Double Jeopardy, finds a distinctive blend of slasher, erotic thriller, and straightforward sleaze, seasoned with touches of semi-surrealism. Atmospherically photographed and featuring a moody score by Joel Goldsmith, who is actually Jay Goldsmith's son, Vinegar Syndrome brings this newly unclassifiable piece of early 80s genre weirdness to Blu-ray, newly restored in 4K from its original 35mm camera negative and presented in, in its completely uncensored version for the very first time on disc. In everything, there is a light and a dark side. In everyone, there is good and evil. And sometimes the darkness creates someone like Olivia. By day, she's just a shy young girl. But when night falls, Olivia changes. Love becomes a perverse obsession. I'd love to see what's hiding behind those glasses. Nice view of the bridge you got here. You live alone? And men will die for her. Come on, stand back. Olivia is twice the woman men think she is. Loving by day, hating by night. I didn't listen to my mother for many years. But now I do everything she tells me. And always changing. Until the good side joins together with the evil side. I can't see you anymore, Mike. I can't. But I love you. To begin a nightmare of depravity that cannot be stopped. I thought I heard you talking to somebody. I was just talking to myself. Did you hear that? What? Olivia is a double woman with double the sensuality and double the terror, double jeopardy, an erotic mystery. So Olivia was a, f I didn't love it. However, I've been thinking a lot about it, but uh, everyone on the, the, the app I use Letterboxd is raving about it. It's giving it three and a half, four, sometimes even four and a half, five stars. And I thought, am I missing something? And I think part of it was that the cover, the cover of the movie was very misleading. And this this film, it's definitely a an exploitation film, but it's very, it's much more in line with erotic thrillers like Jagged Edge than it is, say, Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the Thirteenth. Um, so first, I'll talk about what I liked. I loved Susanna Love in this movie. Uh, I've read that she was actually dubbed. Her her language track was dubbed. Um, and I'll talk, explain that in a second. I loved Robert Walker. Uh, and the setup for the movie was really interesting. So young Olivia sees her mother murdered by John, whose whole thing is he likes being tied up. And while he's tied up, he, he pretty much says, "Do no matter how much I beg, no matter how much I scream at you, do not untie me. And she agrees. She ties him up. And he becomes a complete fucking asshole and is insulting her, calling her a whore or a slut. 
And she eventually says, you know what? Fuck this. I don't need this. And unties him. And he loses his fucking shit and murders her. And young Olivia is watching it as it happened. This is all ingrained in her, in her brain. As she grows up, as the back of the box said, she she marries a an abusive factory worker. Um, and he's just kind of an asshole to her. And Olivia wants to get a job. She wants to get out of the house. She wants to do something. And he says no. No, no wife of mine is going to be waiting tables or some shit like that. So she she wants to get out of the house and she does the only thing that she can think of and that is to go out and try prostituting. And around this time she also starts hearing the voice of her mother whom um who's dead. Starts hearing the voice of her mother in her head. Her first night out, she meets a man uh who she ties up and Things kind of go sour and she murders him. While disposing of the body, as the box says, she meets Mike and they kind of start a friendship uh, because he invites her back to the apartment. She thinks they're there to go. As Jamie Lee Curtis said in Knives Out, boink. It doesn't happen. He said, I just wanted someone to talk to. They eventually do have sex and they have um, kind of, it's a very beautifully shot sex scene. um, And they start forming a relationship. All the while this is happening, Olivia's abusive husband starts feeling that something's wrong, um, get, catches wind of it, and um, eventually follows Olivia one night, and on top of the London Bridge, uh, gets into a scuffle with Mike the American. Um, thing, uh, They get into a scuffle, the hu- abusive husband's thrown off the London Bridge, um and, and then it just does a hard cut to four years later. Pardon me. Whew, I felt like I had to sneeze. It does a hard cut to four years later to Arizona. And at this point, the bridge has been moved, which, by the way, really happened. It happened in the 60s, actually, but the bridge was moved brick by brick. They numbered the bricks and moved them all in, uh, and reassembled it. So the London Bridge is legitimately in Arizona. Uh, a chainsaw magnet, a uh, wealthy chainsaw guy bought it. So how fucking crazy is that? So while there, and I, and I must, and so what, actually let me finish saying. So while there, he's, he's constantly hanging around the London Bridge, which is his big conquest, but it's also a reminder of the love he once had. And he sees a woman who kind of looks like Olivia. He pursues her, doesn't have an accent doesn't look she's got dark hair now doesn't talk like olivia doesn't act like olivia doesn't pretend to know him at all and he becomes interested again and starts to wonder who this person is so the reason i think the film didn't really work for me was because this weird jump to four years later it left me with so many questions like why didn't olivia go with him uh was the husband dead what happened and then when we finally see the woman he thinks is Olivia, I didn't even recognize her because she looked so different. I'm, he's pursuing this woman. I was like, who is this person? Uh, I just feel like I, I, I feel like I went in expecting something, one thing, uh, especially because it says, you know, her mo- it, it, the box is written to be a lot more exploitative than it is, where she talks, it talks about like her, her mom can t- talks to her mom and uh, tells her to kill men. That's, 
it kind of happens, but like it makes it, it, it feels far more maniac on the back of the box than it actually was. So I guess I, I kind of sat down expecting one thing and got something completely very different. Um, I think what the film that I got was actually was, was far better than what I was expecting, but it was such a culture shock for me that I wasn't that that it was it was hard for me to get into but you weirdly enough i've been thinking about the film a lot and i want to go back and rewatch it because because i feel like i missed a lot of the subtlety because uh yuli lamel a lot of people are considering this to be his best film uh and then watching the special features kind of really made me want to go back and rewatch it as well so i didn't love it upon first viewing but it's a film that even though i didn't like it very much makes me really want to revisit it and part and like I said, I did like a lot of the performances. I did like the cinematography. The music was interesting. It was very droning. And there's times I liked it. There's times I didn't. I guess I was expecting a little more from Jerry Goldsmith's son. But special features are newly scanned and restored in 4K from its 35 millimeter original camera negative. There's a feature called Becoming an, Becoming Olivia, an interview with actress Susanna Love. So first thing I should say is the special features made me appreciate this movie more. because, And I wish the special features would have been just edited into one big behind-the-scenes type thing because they do a really great job of giving you an idea who Yuli Lama was. So on this with Susanna Love, she talks about being married to, to Yuli and how they met and how that came to be and gives you some perspective into who he was. And his troubled upbringing and how this film is kind of personal to him. Um, And the way his dad was abusive to his mom. And uh, it's really eye-opening. And uh, I think Susanna Love was fantastic in this movie. And the reason I think that she was dubbed is because she's got an English accent at the beginning of the film. During this interview, she has no sense of an English accent. And later on in the film she's talking with an American she's she talking of no accent so I'm thinking they went in and dubbed someone else over Susanna Love to kind of throw the audience a little bit um Becoming Olivia I thought was a really good was, was a really good interview um because it, it wasn't just about here we were making this movie but it was also about like who the director was because he's not on any of this I believe Yuli Lama is no longer with us uh Taking on many roles, an interview with writer slash assistant director John P. Marsh. This is also a really good one where he talks about how he got connected with Yuli Lamel. And it was a big deal when, when Yuli, who was working with Fassbender in Germany, came to the United States and wanted to make low-budget films and was able to get bigger-name actors because of that. Um, like I said, I think all these work, they intertwine very well with each other because it's very much about how, making an independent film and what it's like working with, as Susanna Love calls them, a genius in Yuli Lamo. Uh, chance meeting, interview with cinematographer John Cranhouse. Uh, learning from Yuli, an interview with editor Terrell Tannen. Uh, those two kind of come together a little bit for me. I don't like them as much as the one of John P. Marsh and Susanna Love, but they're still pretty good. And then this one was I thought was fascinating. Super 8 super eight millimeter behind-the-scenes footage shot and narrated by writer-slash-AD John P. Marsh. I wish John P. Marsh would have uh, talked a little bit more during this footage, but it was kind of cool seeing this behind-the-scenes footage um, and how they shot a lot of this movie because while a portion of it takes place in England, 
they did very, very little in England. They cheated Arizona for England. They cheated California for England. I think they may have had maybe like a couple days just Yuli and Susanna Love in England, and that's it. So they actually used the London Bridge in Arizona as a way to cheat it for, um, to cheat, uh, the United States for England. So it's, it's, I put that together through watching these, these features and it's pretty fucking great for that. It's also got an original theatrical trailer, reversible cover artwork, English subtitles directed film is directed, as I said, by Yuli Lamo starring Susanna Love, Robert Walker Jr., Jeff Winchester, and Yuli Lamo in a small cameo. Film was from 1981, 85 minutes long color, one eight five one widescreen. And it's got a DTS master mono score, um, audio track. Yeah, like I said, I I, I give um, Return of Ultraman super high marks. Go pick that up. Olivia, I think is going to really... It, some people are truly going to love this film. Um, and I might even like it a lot more my second time viewing it. It's just at the moment it's hard to give it a very strong recommendation because I don't know quite how I felt about it. But I've been thinking about it a lot, so that's probably a good sign that I like it. It my my score slowly goes up on the rating goes up on the film, and I'm probably gonna end up rewatching it sometime soon. So uh, thank you very much, everyone, for hanging out with me for these last 37 minutes. I truly appreciate you guys showing some love to the Shameless Picture Show. Please, if you've been watching any of these uh, live streams, please go check out the podcast if you haven't already. I'm a lot more coherent and a lot better when I'm actually on the show and I have a little bit of editing behind me. Um, It's been my passion project for the last four years. um, And it's probably, sorry, I'm cracking my knuckles, one of the best things I've ever done is making this podcast. Uh, and I'm really proud of it, and I want to see some of my numbers go up, guys. So if you please, if you like hearing me talk about movies and you want to hear what I sound like when I'm coherent, please go check out the podcast. So as always, I'm Michael Viers. This has been another quarantine update for the Shameless Picture Show. I'm going to go mow my lawn, and if you're not down with that, I've got two words for you. Watch movies. Thanks for watching, guys. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland, is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers, and is more often than not edited by Michael Viers. Any TV or YouTube versions of the show to date have been edited by Nick Richards, Tyler Hanna, or Dina Villani. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration from Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed, and our new kick-ass logo was designed by Amanda Byers. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors at Mill Creek Entertainment and Vinegar Syndrome. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links to all these tremendous folks, as well as the show, in the description below. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.